I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. Our guest today lost his father at a young age, yet was able to navigate with the help of mentors and a village, a successful academic career starting at Stanford, matriculating to Harvard, and becoming a lawyer, and working for several law practices, starting his own agency, which represented the likes of Tony Dungy and Brian Billick, was recruited by Arthur Blank to join the Atlanta Falcons, and after several years became the executive vice president of operations for the National Football League, working first for Commissioner Paul Tagliabue and then Roger Goodell. Eight years ago, uh, he was recruited to join Michael Crow and Arizona State. Michael Crow was looking for a partner. He'd been losing his athletic directors, and Ray Anderson has been the perfect fit. Their vision, creativity, and innovation is unparalleled in intercollegiate athletics. Our guest, Ray Anderson. Welcome, friends. Believe it or not, we did this yesterday, and I did not hit the record button. So our guest is patient enough and calm enough to be able to relive and talk about uh, his journey, which has taken him from Stanford to Harvard, to a law firm, to his own business, to the Falcons, the NFL, and now uh, as the vice president uh, at Arizona State University. Ray Anderson. Hey, thanks again for joining us today, Ray. Hey, my pleasure, uh, uh, Jed. Always good to see you. You know, deja vu is a real thing. So uh, we're experiencing it right now. And uh, I'm delighted that we could get it back together. Uh, and equally delighted that you have pushed the record button today. Yeah, no, it's it's helpful to do that. <laughs> Very helpful. And when you're done with the call and you're anxious to put it in and send it, that there's nothing there. So, <laughs> so our guests will get a kick out of that. But let, let's talk again uh, about this incredible journey uh, that you've taken and how you've built this relationship with Dr. Crow, who you, you like him, innovative and a visionary and, and have built this tremendous partnership with. Well, certainly uh, my journey has been aided by a lot of fine folks, including yourself, Jed, that, as you know, I proudly uh, refer to you as the guy who led me to Dr. Crow and Arizona State University through your persistence that I should at least come listen to the vision of a guy like Dr. Crow. So I will forever be grateful to you for that. But uh, along the way, I've had coaches and teachers and family members who just always encouraged me to uh, keep looking for visionary, uh, unique opportunities where hopefully you can do something that uh, will have an impact and good for others, but at the same time, be in your 
a will, a passion for things that you like to do. So I was fortunate to uh, grow up in a village after my dad died at nine years old that said, we're going to help this young man reach his dream of being a lawyer, going to college. I was able to do that, went to law school in college, played two varsity sports, which was uh, just a tremendous opportunity. Got to go to law school. Uh, fortunately, at Harvard, it's it served me well. Went to a firm in Atlanta, went to a firm in San Francisco for three years, started my own firm for 14, was able in the agent business, was able to then attract attention from some of the big agencies, went with Octagon for a few months, and then I got uh, recruited by Arthur Blank, who was buying the Falcons. Uh, And for four years, I was the executive vice president, chief administrative officer there. Uh, And then I got recruited to the uh, NFL League office and was there for eight years with Commissioner Tagliabue for a short period. And then Roger Goodell took over as commissioner. Uh, And then after eight years there, you knocked on my door and said, there's a college athletic opportunity, particularly at ASU. Please take a look. Uh, And I did. And here I am and going into my eighth year. Jed, it seems so short time ago, doesn't it? No doubt. And uh, in relationship to this journey of yours, when you think about starting your own agency, what was that like? Talk about what that what the challenges were and how you were ending up able to attract high profile clients. Uh, well, it was a matter of uh, just having a vision and be able to provide a narrative uh, of hope. Uh, in that uh, we were going to try to do it differently than the normal uh, agency would uh, by really close, sensitive, consistent, transparent personal service uh, in terms of contract negotiations and salary arbitrations, but also in terms of uh, helping them scrutinize and uh, help select some of the other folks that would provide services to them, uh, accountants, marketers, sponsor. It was a matter of finding the right personality fit as we went through the recruiting process with uh, clients, uh, both players and coaches, Uh, and then just being determined that we were going to do it the right way in terms of staying on the right side of compliance and the rules and do it with integrity. Uh, And that resonated with the right number and quality Uh, of potential clients and their folks who who joined us. And that's how we were able to grow it over time. Who were some of your top uh, clients? Well, we were proud to represent uh, Tony Dungy and Denny Green and Brian Billick and Herman Edwards and Marvin Lewis and Tyrone Willingham uh, and Mike Sanford and Willie Shaw and others in the coaching ranks. Uh, And then some of our top players in terms of draft choice status were Loya Malloy, Bob Whitfield of the Falcons, uh, and a number uh, of others. Uh, and we also were in baseball with Jose Okendo and Kenny Hill and Tony Bernazard. This goes back away, so some of our listeners may not recognize those names uh, the way they recognize some of the modern-day players. But uh, back in the time, uh, those were really solid uh, performers in their respective sports and their respective coaching duties. Uh, and so we had a very formidable uh, roster of quality clients and more importantly people uh, and that's what made us attractive when it uh, when we when we started to get pursued uh, by the octagons of the world to join their forces why do you think Arthur and blank reached out to you to join the Falcons 
Well, uh, Arthur uh, has always been known as someone who is uh, innovative, creative, looking to do a, a different way. He was also of the mind that if I have someone from the agent business and the union side who understands the players uh, in contract negotiations uh, and what players and their families are looking for as a player vis-a-vis a team, then someone who had lived that life could come in on management side and be very effective in negotiating uh, and in helping us acquire the right folks. Equally important, very frankly, and I'm proud to say this, my reputation preceded me. I was then headquartered in Atlanta, had been doing a lot of uh, community service, uh, and Arthur knew me through some of my uh, presence in the Atlanta area. And so when he was looking for a new EVP of operations uh, administration at the Falcons, uh, I was someone who landed fortunately high on his list of candidate prospects. The NFL. Obviously, when you're working with the Falcons, you're dealing with the league office and dealing with different executives and the like. How did that opportunity come about? Uh, with regard to the NFL, uh, because I was involved uh, in around uh, coaches, players, personnel, including uh, a lot of interaction with uh, the league office. I was appointed by uh, uh, Commissioner Taglibu and Arthur Blank to serve on the executive working group that that was going to uh, end up evolving the Rooney Rule. And so I was involved in that. I was obviously, as someone involved in personnel at the Falcons, very close with operations at the NFL level, uh, the competition committee. So in my four years at Falcons, I had a lot of interaction with the league office folks, uh, including Roger Goodell and Jeff Pash and others, uh, even before Roger Goodell became, became commissioner. So. When they were looking for a new head of football operations, I landed again, fortunately, uh, on a list of uh, uh, prospects that they wanted to talk to. uh, And that's how I moved to the NFL league office. And then in that role, I mean, enormous responsibility. I mean, anything that happens on the field, you're in charge of. So how do you get up to speed? How do you build trust and credibility with all the various stakeholders? Uh, Well, certainly my experience as an agent uh, had me in contact with a lot of people from the NFL office, uh, a lot of people from the individual clubs with with which I had dealt with as an agent negotiating player contracts. Uh, And then my experience at the league office for four years, meet at the Falcons for four years, those interactions. So uh, when I step into the NFL office, I actually knew uh, a a whole bunch of the the people. Uh, And then my style as a manager uh, is to not go in and, and throw a grenade and, and blow people out, people out because I want to so-called bring in my own folks. Instead, I went in with uh, a determination and a promise that I'm going to do a full assessment of all the personnel here. Uh, we're going to work together. And over time, we will see who fits and who doesn't. And so I was able to go in because of that uh, attitude that everyone's going to get an opportunity to show that we can work together and that the culture change that I want to bring is something that you will be able to adopt to uh, and buy into. And if that's the case, we're going to be a a tremendous team going forward. And there's always some instances where you find out very quickly, there's some folks who are just not going to be able to change, not going to be able to buy into new leadership, and then then they need to go, either voluntarily or involuntarily. So that's how we transitioned into the uh, NFL. Uh, and did so uh, in a way that 
people knew it was fair uh, and they had a chance to stay, uh, make their case for why they should stay on as a member of our team. And so it worked out. Talk about the response, the breadth of responsibilities you have in that role. Oh, it, it is a, a, a tremendously uh, in-depth role. So as the head of football operations, you have officiating, you have game operations, uh, you have the on-field discipline for players, you have the Pro Bowl, you have the Super Bowl operations, you have the combine, you have the various camps, you have the game day uh, uh, compliance uh, and equity responsibilities, you have competition committee responsibilities, you have player health and safety uh, committee responsibilities. Uh, you really touch every operational part uh, of the game in that uh, position as a head of football operations for the National Football League. So it's very comprehensive. Uh, there are a whole bunch of folks who uh, are part of operations. At the time, we had NFL Europe. Uh, and so you were even overseas. So uh, college relations, very important. All the interactions, the scouting, the pro days, campuses, what you can do and what you can't do in terms of uh, interacting with potential prospects, uh, tampering, all those things came under that umbrella. Uh, and so it was nonstop, Jed, there's no question about it. Uh, but if you have a really, really good uh, staff of uh, managers and supervisors working with you, you can get it done. But uh, it's a hefty responsibility. When you think about some of the leaders you've been exposed to, you take Arthur Blank and Commissioner Tagliabue is going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. Talk about some of those qualities that uh, you think you may have uh, gained from working with them. Yes, uh, certainly uh, Arthur Blank, very, uh, uh, very influential, although I, I joined him later uh, in my professional career. Uh, the fact is, is when I worked with Arthur for those four years, he reiterated and reinvigorated uh, some fundamental principles, which is everybody matters. Everyone has a role in the outcome. And so you have to have a culture that uh, inspires people to uh, take on an ownership mentality, an equity position mentality that I'm not just an employee. I actually am relevant to the outcome of the enterprise. So for instance, at Home Depot, uh, under Arthur Blank and Bertie Marcus, everyone was called associates. They weren't employees, everyone was an associate. Uh, and there's a psychological difference in how that culture, back in the day when Arthur was in charge of Home Depot. And so I really learned that from him, that everyone has a role, everyone deserves to be listened to uh, as you're going through making decisions. And if you do that, you tend to get, oh, by the way, a lot of uh, very intelligent input comes from folks who you may not see as C-level, C-suite folks, but they are very smart and very tuned in to outcome production because they feel like owners and associates. So I really learned that from Arthur. Uh, from Paul Tagliabue, uh, what I learned from him was that uh, you can be powerful and you can be smart but you got to be real cautious about coming across as arrogant and condescending. A constant reminder that there's a real balance in leadership styles. And so from Arthur and from Commissioner Tagliabue, uh, I, I think I either learned or had reconfirmed some very valuable principles of leadership. 
I think one of the attractive pieces uh, of, you, uh, of your makeup, of your DNA, is the intellect, uh, is the personality, is the relationship building skills, and really never putting yourself out in front of everyone else. So when you made the transition and you met with uh, Michael Crow at Arizona State, what was it about he and the vision for his program that you decided that this could be a, an excellent career opportunity for you? Uh, well, Michael Crow is known for, and certainly what he sold in our discussions was that uh, we we want to do it differently. We want to be innovative. We want to make an impact. We want to move it forward. Uh, uh, status quo and mediocrity is just not acceptable because that's wasteful. Uh, and so uh, what he had done in advancing ASU in his years here before I came was really renowned in the higher education. Uh, what he had done and how he had transformed this place, in large part just through the thinking and the vision and the thought that there there is no ceiling. Uh, and so when I had the discussion with Michael about the so-called athletic director position here, it was very clear that this was not going to be uh, your traditional, typical athletic director uh, position. There was going to be cohesive collaboration uh, between uh, what we wanted to do to advance the whole enterprise, that athletics wasn't going to be a standalone uh, separate entity, but in fact was going to be an integral part of advancing the whole institution forward. And I really enjoyed that. Uh, and then, as you know, he had this unique uh, structure called the Athletic Facilities District, which you sold me on in one of our first conversations, which was we're going to take the 330-acre golf course that's right on campus because the property is too valuable to just be a college golf course. And it's going to be transformed into a live, work, play, education environment, an urban hub with research and development uh, and commercial and hospitality and hotels and retails and multifamily. So it becomes an urban hub uh, right on the edge and becomes an integral part of campus. And oh, by the way, Instead of paying taxes, those people who take on that land will pay uh, what they call pilot payments in lieu of taxes. It will go into a fund that will then uh, allow you to advance and improve athletic facilities, to do debt service on new athletic facilities or renovations you want to make. And so you're not just going to be an athletic director. You're going to be part of literally building a new urban hub as part of ASU. And that was fascinating. Well, the other thing you've done is with the stadium in terms of the renovation of that, how you looked at the student athlete and understood the things that were missing in the stadium that you decided you needed to incorporate. Now, when, when I came in and took the job, they were toward the ends of a renovation uh, of Sun Devil Stadium, which is right outside my window. And what that renovation entailed when I got in and I looked into the plans uh, was new restrooms, wider concourses, better parking, better concessions, uh, all things uh, that would serve the patrons coming in. But uh, there was no new locker rooms, no new weight rooms, no new nutrition, no new sports performance, no new classrooms, no new uh, offices, nothing that directly serviced the student athlete and the coaches who put on the show that goes on in the stadium. So. We said, time out. Uh, we have to make this a much more uh, inclusive and broad serving 
reinvention. We don't want to renovate. We want to reinvent. And so that reinvention, uh, yes, we, we, we were delayed for a couple of years because we had to go raise significantly more money. But now we have a stadium that's actually called Sun Devil 365 for 365 days a year. Students have access. We have classroom space and office space uh, underneath the fourth level that is converted into office for the uh, Global Sports Institute, the Public Service Academy, uh, the Pat Tillman Foundation has room up there. Adidas has room up there. We do conferences. We do concerts out on a big outdoor deck. Uh, students have access for uh, sorority and fraternity events and symposiums and job fairs. This place is open and now it serves the whole community, not just Sun Devil football. Uh, and so that reinvention has made this a community open asset that everyone is enjoying. And oh, by the way, those things allow you to create more revenue to be able to fund the things you want to do here. Frank Cush, huge name. Some of the listeners may not even know who he was, but he set the tradition for how football should be played. And when you uh, when you came in, you've up the bar in terms of your expectations of all your athletic programs? Uh, there's no question in terms of football, this place is here in large part because Frank Cush in his day was one of those who was just not going to be uh, knocked back. You know, he's an icon here. I mean, this is Frank Cush field that we play on. Uh, and so he set a standard for football excellence here that is still the standard today. And so what we're trying to do with Herman Edwards as our new coach uh, and going into his fourth year uh, is bring back the spirit and the enthusiasm for Sun Devil football that existed uh, when Frank Cush uh, was here. We uh, have a long way to go, but certainly I think we're making, making strides toward making this football team under Coach Edwards uh, relevant again the way it was under Coach Cush. You've had incredible hires from a coaching perspective. Let's talk a little bit about how you've assessed and brought people in that have really made a difference in your sports, whether they be the major sports or the Olympic sports. Well, what we've done is our narrative is this, that uh, we want to do it differently. We want to uh, not be uh, middle of the pack, no pun intended, but we want to be uh, uh, in top three uh, in the Pac-12 and top 15 in the country across the board in all of our sports. And so what we have messaged to our coaches coming in, like Bob Bowman, the Olympic coach, Mike Phelps coach, who, who came in as our swimming head coach a few years ago. Uh, Zeke Jones was the U.S. wrestling freestyle coach for five years. We brought him in to lead our wrestling program. Uh, and we have others of that stature. Uh, and the narrative has been, Jed, come in and essentially it's like a startup. You help us build a program uh, in line with our culture and our expectations. You come in, you put your mark on it. You be the tradition. Uh, you build your own house in your sport uh, like no one has ever done here before with full support and encouragement, but do it the right way. But let's be different. And you, the coach coming in here, will be the CEO of that endeavor of that effort. And that has resonated. Well, you put accountability with the coach on his, on their program. Absolutely. From day one, accountability and a real sense of ownership. 
no doubt. Talk about coming into the intercollegiate environment, how that was, how different that was. I mean, you've been an athlete at Stanford University in two sports. The transition that, that you had to make in terms of getting up to speed on issues regarding intercollegiate athletics, Arizona State. Talk a little bit about what that learning curve was like. Uh, it depends on what your background is. Uh, my background happened to uh, include being in and around college campuses a lot. Uh, as an agent, I was always uh, on college campuses because I had uh, clients who were coaches. Uh, I had recruiting opportunities in various stops along the way. I'd be invited back to college campuses to speak at orientations and training and development opportunities for student athletes and others who aspired to go into the pros. So I had a lot of time around college campuses. My son played uh, at Vanderbilt. And so I was always around there as in the NFL office as head of football operations. I spent a ton of time on college campuses. Uh, and so when I came here, my transition was probably easier than someone who had not spent a lot of time on the college campus because I kind of understood, uh, including understanding sometimes the the gap between the academic side of the institution and the athletic department. So I was able to come in with a sensitivity to uh, making sure relationship-wise, we reached out, we included everybody, we didn't hold ourselves out as aloof. And then I was also benefited by the fact that uh, had real high quality administrators here when I got here, jumped in and, and bought into the culture I wanted to bring and the changes I wanted to make. Uh, and so my learning curve, uh, Jed, was probably less severe than some others who might not have had that really that career experience in sports. Well, since we talked yesterday, the conference has made a huge announcement. They've hired, uh, I know you were close to Larry Scott, the former commissioner. They, they've brought in an individual that is coming without a, a, an intercollegiate or professional sports background. How do you, what do you think the challenges are going to be uh, for the new commissioner? I think uh, he is already off to a positive start, even though he has very little uh, collegiate experience, uh, in large part because he has acknowledged that I know the primary things that the Pac-12 needs to address, certainly the media, certainly the revenue production side, certainly the Pac-12 network fixing that side. But what he also recognized and said very clearly is, I know that fixing football is first and foremost. I know that upgrading our ability to compete and get into the national discussion in the college football playoff and football uh, and same in men's basketball is where our bread and but bread is buttered. And so he acknowledged, I need to get in and establish relationships with the athletic directors and the coaches that will allow us to figure our way forward to be much more competitive and therefore valuable in football. And then other things will be benefited and the boats will be raised as a result thereof. So the fact that he was so prepared and so cognizant in my view, of the needs of the Pac-12, uh, I think he's going to be a really strong, given time commissioner because he's made it clear it's going to be driven by the relationships I have across all the campuses and with the athletic directors and coaches in particular. He made that very clear. So some folks criticize it, saying, well, here's another business guy like Larry Scott 
with no college experience. Uh, but I think he's learned from Larry's situation. Uh, and then his own background is going into very difficult situations uh, and making appropriate changes and given time, very successful outcomes. I'm really pleased with uh, Klyovkov, uh, George Klyovkov, our commissioner elect here in the Pac-12. Going back and summarizing your experiences in terms of the things you really are proud of, of accomplishing, what would be two or three of those that, that you'd want to highlight with our audience today? Well, I'm really, I'm really proud of some of the things we've done here at ASU to advance the program. We've added four new varsity sports uh, in a time when other folks were uh, pulling back uh, uh, and even cutting sports. So we, we added men's high ice hockey. Uh, we added women's lacrosse. Uh, we added women's triathlon. We brought back men's tennis. Uh, and so you're talking about 100 and plus additional uh, student athletes. Uh, opportunities that we've created here because we uh, determined we want to do that. Along with that, we've had massive uh, upgrades here in our facilities uh, that we have driven because we've been driven and had a vision that would inspire folks to support us. So I'm really proud of that. Uh, we made some real changes at the NFL uh, under my leadership in the football ops. Uh, when I came in, it was perceived as kind of an aloof uh, department that uh, kind of uh, spoke down to and dictated down to the 32 clubs as opposed to being a service arm to those clubs. Uh, I think we changed uh, the culture and the thinking there under my leadership, uh, and I'm, 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 I'm very proud uh, of that. Those would be two things. Uh, and then I'm also very proud here at ASU, uh, and I inherited a really strong uh, Office of Student-Athlete Development and Academic uh, support group for our student athletes. Uh, but when, in our time here, uh, we have really improved and upgraded that, uh, whereby now uh, we're knocking on the door of Stanford uh, now for the last three or four years in terms of uh, highest academic achievement in the conference in terms of uh, academic progress rates and the other metrics. We, we're doing very well with our student athletes academically, and, and I'm proud of that. The other aspect that, from my perspective, I'm, I'm really proud of is this bond and relationship you and Dr. Crow have built. When you look around, other universities, presidents are leaving, ADs are leaving, yet you two have been able to build this incredible relationship, I think, into a friendship. Uh, there's no question that uh, we are friends. We just had breakfast uh, before I came to see you, and we were together yesterday after you and I got off uh, the, uh, uh, the first attempt at this, as you, you probably know, we actually were hosting the new commissioner to do his introductory press conference here at our facilities over in uh, our, our football uh, offices, Herman Edwards, big conference room. So we were together there. We are uh, friends, but uh, I give a lot of credit to, to, to you and my, my mentor and friend, Howard Fleur, in New York for when this first thing came up some eight years ago, uh, you guys insisted that Michael Crow was a special guy. He wasn't your normal president. Uh, Ray, you've got to at least take the interview and go talk to him. He's special. And he is uh, special all the way to the extent that we have a lot in common from the day we met and sat down. It was one of those things like, you know, we got a lot in common. 
Uh, I really like this guy. More importantly, uh, he's sincere. He's got drive. He wants to be different. Uh, and he wants to do some things in a collaborative uh, way. And so we've grown. Uh, I think I probably got one of the, one of the strongest, probably most unique uh, relationships that an athletic director can have uh, with his college president, probably of anywhere in the country. I would, I would agree with that. I think you bring your intellect, your pedigree, education, and your experiences, and he brings his piece from having been a Colombian, his dedication to academics, and then just the broad way he looks at higher education and the different ways he's trying to connect with uh, with students. Yeah, there's no question about it. And, you know, this is public, so I'm not sharing anything that I shouldn't, but Dr. Crow and I uh, are collaborating, obviously, with the help of uh, other folks and in, 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 uh, campus members and, and creative thinkers uh, on what is going to be a, a leadership and competitive academy program that he and I are uh, the co-founders of. Uh, and we're going to build that together starting uh, now. We're in the process of doing the process and design. We have grown uh, a relationship that even includes uh, let's do some things uh, academically, entrepreneurially uh, together that we think will be new and innovative and advanced beyond athletics and beyond the traditional academic uh, uh, corral. Uh, so that's uh, the different relationship we have. And so that will be coming out soon, Jed, uh, and it's going to be quite unique. And, and we hopefully uh, are certainly hopeful, quite impactful as we build it out. Well, again, I, I thank you for a redo, not because of your performance, because of my lack of performance. And if I was the director, I'd fire myself. No, 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 no. All we I, I, when I laughed with my wife, Buffy, last night and, and my associate, Kim, I said, Jed and I got so excited because we hadn't seen each other in so long. And we just got to talking and rolling and rolling. I don't think anybody thought about pushing buttons. So we just we just laughed. And I said, it's just another reason to get on with my good buddy uh, and get a chance to visit, Jed. Happy to do it, brother. Thanks again. 